Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to the one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not pagans do the same? So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. My name is Mitch Vickner. Most of you probably know my father, Deacon Tom Vickner. So welcome to the, un, the official unveiling of Deacon Vickner 2.0. I know uh, a lot of you are thinking, but I love the original version. He gives such good homilies, and he's funny. And he does that whole silent laugh thing when he says something he thinks is funny, like, Hey, I get it. I totally understand. Uh, you know, he's been a great deacon for many years, but you're going to have to get used to Deacon Vignair 2.0 because, as we all know, it's only a matter of time before the manufacturer stops supporting the original version. <laughs> oh, if you think I crossed the line there, I told him that joke and he gave me permission to tell it, so it's all good. It's all good. Uh, as part of the ordination ceremony on Friday, uh, the new deacons ask someone that's already a deacon to help them get vested for the first time. And so obviously I asked my dad, and it was a great moment for us, but, uh, you know, this is called a Dalmatic, and I'd never had one on before. And so he hands it to me, and I'm there, like, struggling, like, how do I get this thing on? And he's not helping me at all. He's just sitting there laughing at me. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that was payback for the joke, okay? I see how it is. All right. But in all honesty, the love and support uh, from this community, from everyone there, has been quite overwhelming. The Cardinal even commented on it in his homily. 
uh, all the love, support, respect we were receiving, but he warned us. He said, you know, don't get used to it. And that falls right in line with what the seminary taught our wives throughout the six years that we were in formation. They taught our wives it was their job to support us in our ministry, but also it's their job to keep us grounded. And so after the ordination ceremony, of course, we're taking pictures and hugging and receiving congratulations, and it's awesome, and I'm on this high, and we get back to our hotel room, and I looked at my wife, and I said, you believe it, you know, we made it. And she said, yes, you're official now. You're officially ordained as a servant. Here, go get me some ice. <laughs> so trust me, she's doing her job. So many people ask me, why did you become a deacon? And that's not an easy thing to answer, but today's gospel really helps to explain. You see, I am a very flawed man. By nature, I'm hedonistic, arrogant, selfish, sometimes vengeful. In other words, I am the man that Jesus is speaking to in today's gospel. When he says, when someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. And then, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really? I thought, I need to go back and find the original Greek translation. I mean, maybe there was some you know, mistake along the way. Did Jesus really mean these words? Well, in fact, he did. And when you look at the original Greek, it makes it even more clear what Jesus' desire is for us. There are three Greek words, eros, philos, and agape, that all translate into the one word love in English. So eros, which is not used in the New Testament at all, is romantic love. Philos is used occasionally in the New Testament, and it speaks about brotherly love. But agape is used very frequently. It's the divine, selfless love which will go to any length to attain the well-being of its object. So agape is better thought of as an action rather than a feeling. You know, we might or might not have warm feelings towards the beloved that we want to express agape love to. But whether or not we have warm feelings, we need to put our love into action by doing what is possible to help the beloved. So agape is the love with which God loves us. Agape is the love that causes a soldier to fall on a grenade to save others. Agape is the love that causes an adult to risk his life to save a drowning child. Agape is the love that causes a parent to work two jobs to support the family. Agape is the love that causes someone to sit with a person for hours or even days who is struggling with a personal crisis. Agape is the love that Jesus calls us to have even for our enemies. This is the love that makes it possible for us to turn the other cheek to give more than is required, to go the second mile, and to give generously to those who ask. So why does he ask this of us? 
Well, he tells us in verse 45, so that we may be children of our Father in heaven. And as his children, we should then behave as our Heavenly Father behaves, who certainly loves his enemies, who certainly loves us when we don't deserve it. So yes, he meant those words when he said them, and he means them for us today. There's no question that they're very challenging to our natural inclinations, but they do teach us something important. Often the best way to eliminate a vice is to force yourself to practice the opposite virtue. I don't know about you, but I often want to fight back or to complain or even to root for my enemy's downfall. But Jesus says to do the opposite, to love them with agape love. And if that's not challenging enough, he ends this passage with be perfect, just as your heavenly father is perfect. That sounds like he's demanding us to be sinless. It sounds like he's raising the bar to incredible heights. It sounds like there's no hope of meeting this impossible standard. But if that's what he meant, it would be completely inconsistent with his mission to save us from our sins, the whole reason he came to the earth and to bring us into relationship with the Father. So back to the Greek again, the word that is translated as perfect in this passage is teleos. Teleos can also be translated as whole, complete, mature, fulfilled. So something that has reached its goal or fulfilled its purpose is teleos. So to understand Jesus when he tells his disciples that they need to be teleos, let's go back to the first reading from Leviticus when God says, you shall be holy for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. To be holy is to be set apart for God's purpose. The Sabbath is holy because God set it apart as a day of worship and rest. The tabernacle and the temple are holy because they are places for people to worship and experience presence of God. Priests and Levites were holy. They were set apart for God's service. Israel was holy as God's chosen people. And now Jesus calls his disciples to be teleos, to be mature, complete, people who have fulfilled the purpose for which he has called them, people who have become the people that God has created them to be. And that is our calling, that is our challenge, to be formed in the image of God, to fight our natural inclinations when they oppose the love of God or the love of neighbor. To fulfill that purpose, we need to evaluate our lives and be willing to step out of our comfort zone. So this brings me back to the question, why did you become a deacon? When I evaluated my life seven years ago, it was good. But a wise man told me that the enemy of the great is often the good. We have a tendency to get complacent, especially 
if we are comparing ourselves to others whom we think we're doing better than. And that's where I was. My spiritual life was stagnant. I like to think I was the kind of guy that you could count on when needed. But in reality, I don't by nature look for opportunities to serve. I'm perfectly content to sit in front of the TV or on my computer until I'm forced to get up and do something. So to combat that hedonism and selfishness, I needed to practice the opposite virtue. I needed more opportunities to serve, and I needed people to know that I was willing to serve. And to combat my arrogance, I needed to subject myself to Christian authority. The diaconate program accomplished these goals. And while I am far from perfect, I am certainly a better version of myself today than I was six years ago. My desire as a newly ordained deacon is to be a bridge to help people get back to the church, to help people to get into a closer relationship with God. So my prayer for each of you is that you will fulfill the purpose to which God has called you. And if I am to help you, I must set aside my ego. So my request is when you see me walking up to this ambo, please say a short prayer for me. Please pray that I will get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can speak through me and get to you. My constant prayer is that God will use me despite my shortcomings. That the people of God will not suffer due to my failings. So if there's one thing that stands out to me after six years of formation, it's that I can only become the best version of me when I'm helping you to be the best version of you. St. Anthony Apocalypse.